This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventure in Acts with Eutychus raised from the dead, Paul to the Ephesian elders, parts one and two, Paul lands at Tyre, and Paul makes his way to Jerusalem. Da-da-da-dum! Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. I think what we see emerging is essentially new forms of secular orthodoxy forming, and we can really view these modern-day hate speech cases as an equivalent, really, of the blasphemy cases of old. Getting your kids counter-programmed to have their social life, family and community focused, this is generally what the research suggests is useful for a successful transmission of values across generations. The Lord does not set us to look for escape from trouble. He sends his church right into the midst of trouble. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. We're not taught to look for an escape from trouble, but to confess Christ and let come what may. Lord, thank you that I belong to a we. I am baptized into your church so that that even if I feel alone, I can pray the first word of the prayer Jesus gives me and know that I'm not alone. I belong to your church, Lord. This is Will from Michigan, and I'm a Lutheran high school teacher and football coach. And I love beginning my day listening to issues, etc. All right, guys, let's go. When God's word of long gospel is preached, can we be certain that the Holy Spirit is always in attendance, always in that word, working both to convict of sin and then to bring faith in the promises of God in Jesus Christ. If we can't be sure that the Spirit's at work there, what are the consequences of that kind of thinking? A word without the Spirit? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live on this Monday afternoon from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to start with part 12 of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever will be our guest. Dr. Fodi Bakum joins us after that. We'll discuss Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Then we will turn to President Trump's abortion comments on Meet the Press this weekend. And we'll have Molly Hemingway, a Fox News contributor, alongside for that conversation. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He is author of the book Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Pray, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. It has been some time since we left off on our conversation (laughs) about the proper distinction between law and gospel. So orient us briefly, if you would. Sure, sure. We were in the middle of unpacking thesis number nine, which Walter first offered on January 16th, 1885. This is like his, the most obsessive thesis he has. He just can't seem to let this one go. So he actually covers it over and over and over again, all the way from January 16th to February 20th in 1885. So all of that on this one thesis, this is what we were talking about. In the fifth place, the word of God is not rightly divided. 
when sinners who have been struck down and terrified by the law are directed not to the word and sacraments, but to their own prayers and wrestlings with God in order that they may win their way into a state of grace. In other words, they are told to keep on praying and struggling until they feel that God has received them into grace. This was the sort of standard operating method that Walter noted in a lot of the Christians around him in his own day, especially here in America. But it was actually sort of the way that if you dig into history, things often went throughout Christianity. It was just kind of an awkward confusion of law and gospel that had people questioning whether or not their salvation was surely delivered to them, as you intimated at the beginning, by God's word and his word joined to the elements and the sacraments, or whether or not it really was something that had to be located inside oneself. He went through his own personal experience with this. He talked a lot about that. Last time we looked at how he he, he went through a number of uh, misunderstandings about the means of grace that uh, that were prevalent at his time in the, in the 15th lecture, and above all, how horrible it was that people would even be in doubt about whether or not their sins were truly, in, in fact, forgiven. So at that point, we're ready to launch into like the 16th evening lecture, which is, you know, this thesis has a whole bunch of sections, but this particular lecture is, I think, the center of the entire book, number 16. So where does he start off? Eventually gets around to a little history lesson on Ulrich Zwingli. But mm-hmm. Zwingli is simply an, an example, a big one, of what the point that Walter wants to drive home for the students. When he starts this section, he says, no doctrine of the evangelical Lutheran church is more offensive to the Reformed, and again, by Reformed, he just sort of means the general Protestants, than the doctrine that the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness in the sight of God and eternal salvation is obtained in no other way than by the believers putting his confidence in the written word, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and in absolution. That's the thing he says that people continually stumble over from the other churches when they hear Lutheran preaching. We just direct people to trust the means of grace. God in them promises that he will be at work and he will do what he says in them. I mean, Todd, just sort of think about how this works out with the way that evangelism is thought of, where, you know, you've got to elicit the person, you've got to do the sales job to elicit the person to make the decision, right? That's the, the whole driving force there. And you're, you're then measuring what's going on by something happening inside of them. Totally different from just telling somebody, to, here's what the word of God says, trust it, it's true. I mean, that's a very different approach. But that's the exact approach that uh, Walter is arguing for in this thesis. God's word can be relied on. It will give what it says. And because the people, especially in the Reformed tradition, had this kind of an idea floating around that God's grace really is irresistible. If God's really calling you to faith, you're not going to be able to resist it. He'll accomplish and do it for you. The Lutherans from the beginning always stressed, no, whenever God deals with us through the means of grace, the almighty God becomes resistible. What he's offering is a gift, not something that can be coerced. And and he specifically, he put it like this, 
the means of grace actually convey grace, but not in such a manner as to coerce men to receive them. To the person receiving baptism, God says, I will be thy God, and thou shalt be in grace and favor with me. If the person refuses to receive this offer, he obtains no grace. But the reason for that is not because there was no grace for him to receive, but because he despises it. I mean, if I'm offering you a gift, if I'm offering you a plate of cookies, I know I would never do that, but imagine I did. And I offer you a plate of cookies and said, here, Todd, here's a cookie. And you were to say, no, thanks. Were you really offered the cookies? Yes. But did you turn them down? Yes. And so that's the, uh, the way that Lutherans from the beginning were always really careful to speak about it. God's gift is freely given, but every gift that God freely gives can also be turned down and turned away from. I think that's a, a really important point to picture here. God's grace is never coercive. It always just is a free gift. And you can't make someone take a gift. God lays it there and lays it there freely. I mean, you can't create the gift. He has to give it. But once it's given, it can be rejected. He extols the the Lutheran teaching on the means of grace. Why does he cite Zwingli and the, by this time, what a 400-year disagreement between Zwingli and his followers and the Lutheran confession? Well, because Zwingli denigrated every last one of the means of grace as being actually external and useless. And yes, they were things that the Christians were supposed to do, but were they things that actually gave God's grace to us? The idea that the infinite and eternal love and mercy of God could be conveyed by physical things was found to be very offensive. It had to all be done spiritually. The spirit had to work it all inside of them. And then here they just disconnected the spirit from the word, the spirit inspired to actually deliver the gifts. So they, um, they had a very different picture then of how that works. And so if you think about the way he describes it here, it's really beautiful. He says, they separate grace from baptism and they leave us a mere external sign in which there's not a grain of mercy. All grace has been cut away. I mean, that's the way Luther is talking about the Anabaptists, the way that they actually treat the gift of baptism itself because they can't have spiritual results in your life. Physical things can't convey spiritual realities. And Luther is just dead set against that and the Lutheran church after him the same way. We're like, no, I don't care how physical it is. If the Holy Spirit joins his word to it, it will do what God says it will do. He says, that is the result of falling away from the first commandment. A person promptly sets up an idol in the form of some meritorious work in which he trusts. Therefore, Moses says, my dear children, have a care to abide with God and follow him. Otherwise, you cannot avoid idolatry. You will fall into that sin no matter how much you struggle against it. For the devil at all times assaults the grace of God. No heresy can bear the teaching of divine grace. I love that. He's saying every single thing that happens against this beautiful means of grace, the bridge between us and God, which the means of grace form, everything that assaults that gracious gift, he says, is at the heart of heresy. Every heretic believes that they're not finally saved by grace. And then 
he also says in the same lecture that the spirit is not obtained except by simple trust in the words of God. And that's something which, again, the Reformed found to be very offensive, that we would simply refer people to, well, just listen to what God says, and that will give you the gift of faith. Listen to what God himself says. This morning I preached in chapel for our kids, and we were looking at the story of the widow of Zarephath at our mountain service. And think about that. Elijah comes to the woman with a promise from God. And wow, he just lays it on her. He's like, you know, you need to get give me something to eat first. And he says, but the God of Israel says that the flour in that jar and the oil in that jug, they're not going to run out, not till the day that the Lord God sends rain upon the earth. So she had then nothing but the word of God to go on. And what did she do? She walked in the house and did it. Where did her faith come from? It came from the promise that Elijah just laid on her. He said it to her. She believed it. And then her life was changed forever. I mean, she then came to totally rejoice in the God of Israel. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are continuing our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. He is host of the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, if you reject the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, baptism, absolution, and God's work through them, you will inevitably put something else in their place. What do the Reformed put in their place? There are at least two ways to see the Messiah's presence in the Old Testament. The chief would be the Lord's messenger. Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of The Issues Etc., a book of the month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. The second way we see the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament would be through God's glory. Learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. The Lord has sanctified us in the true faith. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel, live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org.
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. I want to go on to the 17th evening lecture, but before we do that, there's an interesting statement that Walther makes here. He's speaking again of the Reformed. He says, spurning the way which God has appointed, they are pointing another way in accordance with, and here's what interested me, with new devices which they have invented. Yeah. What is he referring to? Well, there? I mean, if you're, if you're going to reject the ways of God, you're going to have to come up with your own way. And Walther's probably there referring to what came to be known as the new measures, guaranteed ways that you could help people have the emotional experiences that they needed to have so that they could be assured of their salvation, um, including things like the, um, you know, the wailing bench where, where the people would have to sit and cry o- over their sins. I mean, there was all kinds of really crazy stuff that people came up with that people thought, we'll give you the steps that you need to do to actually reach the assurance of your salvation. And against this whole crazy way of dealing with people, the Lutherans just said, uh, what about you just hear and trust what God says in his word? That works really well. And people had a hard time with that. But that's exactly where Walter's headed. And then, you know, perhaps nowhere does it really start to shine, Todd, like it does in this 17th evening lecture where he has to deal with absolution. I mean, there's some sort of a commonality with a Lutheran or a Reformed person at least saying, well, you know, baptism, we know they, 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 they want it to be a sign of salvation, but at least they got salvation connected to it somehow. The Lord's Supper, well, maybe just a sign of Christ's body and blood, but, we, you know, we're saying, you know, it actually is his body and blood and it gives us forgiveness. But then when we come to absolution, this is when they just kind of lose their minds dealing with us. It's like, what are you doing going around telling people I forgive you all your sins. This is not right. This is where he's starting to uh, dig in in this lecture. And he starts out with a beautiful observation. He says, the spirit of Luther and the entire genuine Lutheran church is the spirit of childlike simplicity, the spirit of faith, the spirit that submits to the word of God and takes human reason captive to the wisdom or under the wisdom from on high. Oh, by the way, I should have, I wanted to throw this in there too. I'm working right now from Dowell's translation of Walther's Law and Gospel. Um, CPH tells that one and then the one done by President Harrison. But Dow is, uh, I was just at, at a congregation's 225th anniversary, St. John's Lutheran Church down in Conover, North Carolina. And one of their pastors was the guy who's translating the book that I'm reading from, Dow. He was present for many of these evening lectures, and uh, he's the one who first brought Walther's lectures into English for us. So this beautiful spirit of childlike simplicity that just says, well, God said it, and I'm going to go with it, this really comes to the fore when you come to the area of absolution. This is personal in my own life. I remember the first time, well, it was my baptism, when my dad attended that, he was very offended by the service because in the service, he heard the pastor say, upon this year confession, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Or I guess in those days, in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And my father was just like, he, I remember he told me when he got when we got home, he goes, that man can't forgive sins. It's just like a, a rock solid piece of his own understanding of of the Bible, the you know, there's no way that a human being can forgive sins. He sort of sounds like the the Pharisees talking to Jesus about this. But, you know, the answer to it is, well, what do you do if the word of God says, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained? So that 
assumes that, yes, Jesus has given authority to men on earth to actually and really and truly forgive sins, the, the gift of the keys of the kingdom. But absolution then becomes one of the key evidences that the Reformed would bring forth to insist that Lutherans are the least Reformed of all the Protestant bodies and that we're halfway stuck back into the darkness of the Middle Ages and Catholicism. That's why we're so stuck on this whole absolution thing. Even when I did those video interviews with my good friend Matt Whitman, he tried to suggest that that was really what the case. You know, political realities made it so that Lutherans had to skate closer to Catholics. But, you know, really, if you'd have let it go on its own, they would not have said some of those things you have in the Augsburg Confession. And, you know, a bunch of us Lutherans talking to him, we looked at him and said, uh, no, <laughs> the Augsburg Confession says what it says because that's what God's word says. And I could tell he was really having trouble grasping that we really believed that the Augsburg Confession was not a politically expedient statement. Heavens, it was anything but a politically expedient statement. It was instead just a statement of what God's word was teaching. A simple faith in God's word brings you to what the Lutheran church has always taught, especially about such a thing as absolution. Now, because they were accusing Lutherans of being sort of stuck in the Catholic church on this particular question, Walther goes through and lays out this intense doctrinal basis for what Lutherans teach and practice about absolution. And it's really worth listening to. If we can work our way through it, is that okay? Yeah. All right. So first thing he says, Christ, the son of God took upon himself by imputation, all sins of every sinner, counting them as his own. That's the start of the Lutheran doctrine of absolution. All of our sins have been charged entirely to Jesus Christ. He took them all into himself. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And then secondly, by his life and abject poverty, by his suffering, crucifixion, and death, Christ has wiped out the record of the world's sin and procured remission of all sins. No man living from Adam to the last human that will be born is exempted from this plan. So that, that strikes right at the heart of Calvinism's idea of the limited atonement. Walter's like, nope, the sins of every single person ever alive were truly laid on the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the propitiation not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. He just hammers that home. Then he says, third point, by raising his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, God the Father confirmed and put his stamp of approval on the work of reconciliation and redemption which Christ finished on the cross. By the resurrection, he has in the presence of heaven and earth, angels and men, and I'd add in demons, he said, as my son cried out on the cross, it is finished, so do I. I announce, it is finished, you sinners are redeemed. In other words, raising Christ from the dead shows that the Father accepted that perfect, pure, holy sacrifice of his life offered on our behalf, and now he lives to apply it to us. And then point four, by his command to preach the gospel to every creature, Christ commanded at the same time 
to preach the forgiveness of sins. To That's what the gospel is. It's the message of the forgiveness of sins. So to proclaim to all men the glad tidings, all that's necessary for your salvation has been completely accomplished. When asking, what must I do to be saved? You need to remember that it all has been done. There's nothing more you could do if you even tried. You're only to believe what he did for you and you will be relieved. And then he adds point number five. Christ didn't only issue a general command to his apostles and their successors in office to preach the gospel, that is the forgiveness of sins, but he told them to minister to each individual who desires this comfort, the beautiful word, you are reconciled with God. If forgiveness has been procured for all, and it has, then it has been procured for each individual. And if I may offer it to all, I may offer it to any individual. Not only may I do this, I'm actually ordered to do it. And if I fail to do it, I'm a servant of Moses and not a servant of Jesus. Then Walter adds his last point. He says, now that forgiveness of sins has been procured as stated, not only has a minister a special commission to proclaim it, but every Christian, male or female, adult or child, is commissioned to do this. Even a child's absolution is just as certain as the absolution of St. Peter, yes, as the absolution of Christ would be, were he to stand visibly before men and say, Thy sins are forgiven thee. There is no difference. For mark you, it's not a question of what man must do, but what has been done for man by Jesus Christ. So that's his biblical doctrinal basis of the Lutheran teaching of absolution. And you can see that is miles away from some sort of a priestly power, which only some men get by a certain form of ordination. No way. He was saying this is a message that is to be carried out into the world by every single Christian. We will go on to the 18th evening lecture as we look at CFW Walther's proper distinction between law and gospel with Pastor Will Whedon after the break. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. It is part 12 of our series on the distinction between law and gospel. Pastor Whedon is author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And you can purchase these books by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 or you can browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. In the 18th evening lecture, Walther takes up the question of the fanatics. We'll find out who they are and what was wrong next. St. Peter encourages us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
That is where we get the Greek word for apologetics, that is to defend the Christian faith. The September issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the topics of apologetics and archaeology and discusses both of them in detail with articles from Paul Meyer, Sarah Rinsel, Mark Meal, and David Adams. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. The church is a family. St. Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. At Redeemer Lutheran Church, we rejoice to be a part of that household of faith, gathered around the gifts of Christ in word and sacrament. If you are in the Lawrence, Kansas area, it would be our pleasure to have you join our family. We also have the privilege of serving the University of Kansas. If you have a son or daughter who attends KU or one of the other area universities, we would love for them to join us and to make Redeemer their home away from home. For more information about our church, please visit Redeemer-Lawrence.org. Often imitated, never equaled. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Geeshan. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry. It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking at the distinction between law and gospel with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, he begins the 18th evening lecture comparing us to, or at least all men in the general sense, to someone who is being held in prison awaiting execution. What's the comparison there? Yeah, I mean, he says, could you imagine anything worse than being a prisoner, a prisoner on death row, right? And there's this rumor out there that 
Maybe you've actually been pardoned, but you just don't know for sure. You don't know when the door opens whether or not it's going to be the executioner coming with his axe to chop off your head or whether it's going to be a messenger saying to you, no, man, your, your sins are forgiven. So he's trying to explicate how terrible this monster of uncertainty is in our lives when we just don't know how we stand with God. And if we think that the key to how we stand with God is located inside of us rather than inside of God, that brings you into the category of people that Dr. Luther called the fanatics or the enthusiasts. And he lumps pretty much all the other Protestants into that group where the referent point of how you stand with God is not inside of God and what he has done for you in Christ, but instead it becomes some change that has happened in you. So that's what he wants to really drive toward in this particular evening lecture. He wants to talk about this. How does he go about that? Well, one of the things that that he says is, where does God tell us that he's forgiven us? Well, you go to the word, the gospel, baptism, the Lord's Supper, absolution. In the, the Holy Supper, the real gift of grace, which we take from it, is not just partaking of the body and blood of Christ, but the promise of forgiveness. Christ has attached to the promise of his body and blood to be received by us which is given for you, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. The body and blood of Christ are the royal seal that the Savior affixes to his words. Briefly then, everything that God does assures us of his grace, and the word occupies the first place. And he stresses that this holds for the absolution too. But then he goes on to talk about Calvin and Swingley. He says, you know, Swingley just basically said, it's a sign, nothing more, right? Calvin was dissatisfied with that interpretation of the Lord's Supper, but Walter adds, Calvin's own interpretation was also wrong. He said that a person desiring to receive the body and blood of Christ couldn't get it under the bread and wine, but must, by faith, mount up to heaven, where the Holy Spirit would negotiate a way for feeding him with the body and blood of Christ. These are mere vagaries which originated in Calvin's fancy, but An instance like this shows that men will not believe that God bears us poor sinners such great love that he's willing to come to us. And here he makes this incredibly beautiful statement. The fanatics think that we must ascend to him while he has already descended to us. And that reminds me of a statement that Walter's student, Dr. Pieper, wrote in his great Christian dogmatics where he said, the incarnation destroys Pelagianism. I remember hearing uh, Dr. Nagel or seeing Dr. Nagel try to, to demonstrate this. He, you know, he wrote on the chalkboard in Greek and the word became flesh. And then he erased it and said, that's not right. And he got down on his knees underneath the chalkboard and wrote on the wall and the word became flesh. And then he's like, no, that's not right. And then he gets down on the floor and writes on the floor And the word became flesh. And he jumped up and said, that's it. He came all the way down to where you are. No distance for you to go to get to him. That's the key. That's the gift given all the way. And that coming all the way down to where you are, that wasn't just the incarnation. That's the continuation of the incarnation in the word and the sacraments. He always comes all the way to where you are. And 
It's the opposite then of having sort of like ladders set up that you're going to try to climb up to God in heaven by doing this or that or the other thing. Instead of that, if we're up there trying to get our ladders to work, there's Jesus, our brother, standing beside us in our flesh and going, hey, what are you looking for? Where, where are you looking? You know, And you're like, well, I want to see God in heaven. And he's like, oh, really? Wow. Well, I'm here. And we overlook that with the incarnation. He moves from this idea that God comes all the way to where we are to something that particularly troubled him in Dr. Leah's teaching. He doesn't name him by name. I think that's significant here. But he said he heard a teacher say this, that the idea that that a lay person, a layman, really doesn't have the power to speak the absolution. And this greatly troubled Dr. Walther. He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, Walther clearly has on his side Dr. Luther on this. Luther is so clear, especially if you check his collection of sermons for the church on the Sunday after Easter, Quasimodogenity, Luther, which deals with the institution of the Office of the Keys. But there, Luther stresses that this is a gift given to every Christian, that we may turn to our brother or sister and speak to them, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Christ sends all of us forth to dish out this gift of forgiveness. I don't think probably anyone in the 20th century got that nearly so well as Dr. Ken Corby, who constantly said, you've got to see this is his plan. He wants to destroy the power of sin by having us constantly be wiping each other's sins out with the words of absolution. Beautiful picture there. To help demonstrate this, Walter doesn't turn to Luther's apostles per se. He turns instead to a really great document Luther wrote, I think it was in 1530, on the office of the keys itself. And there Luther says a few things that are really uh, worth pondering, but my favorite of that entire document is when Luther says, the right procedure is not to base the validity of absolution on your contrition. In other words, was I really sorry enough for God to forgive me? He says, no, turn it the other way around. You need to make your contrition rest on the certainty of the absolution. God's word is not wobbleable like our words are. My contrition is never something I can be absolutely sure of. I don't know, Todd, when you and I were young, we had that. You remember when you were confirmed, you were probably given the Lutheran book of prayer? Yeah. You know, they change that across the years all the time. But there was a form of a prayer that was a remembrance of baptism in that that book that was so powerful. And also it's confession of sins, where one of the first things it said is, Father, I can't even uphold the honesty or fullness of this, my confession. That's a beautiful statement of fact. That's saying, I'm not going to base the absolution on my getting confession right. I'm going to instead trust your great promise of your love and forgiveness for me in Jesus Christ, and that will give me the courage to make even a very bad confession to you. I will make to you a confession of my sins that's not full or complete. I know I can't even do it if I tried, and I can't even speak to the, you know, my heart is so desperately wicked. How can I know that I am indeed sincerely sorry for all of these things? Instead, I'm just going to say, Father, Please forgive me my many sins, and I want to rest the forgiveness that you speak on your promise to me, not on my action of confessing. We're talking with Pastor Will Whedon. It's our series, 
the proper distinction between law and gospel. We have about 50 minutes left on the other side of the break and one more lecture to go through, the 19th even lecture, when we talk about experience in the Christian life. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. Lutheran, it's not a slogan, it's a confession. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Learn and grow with us at Redeemer Lutheran Church, 7670 East Jomax Road, Scottsdale, Arizona. The gifts of Christ are received every Lord's Day in the 9 a.m. Divine Service. Confessional, Evangelical, Sacramental, Liturgical. Lutheranism the way it used to be. Lutheranism the way it can be once again. If you're in Scottsdale or in the Phoenix metro region, we'd love to have you visit. And please also visit our website, RedeemerScottsdale.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel with Pastor Will Whedon. He's host of the 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Pastor Whedon is leading a study this week in Acts chapters 20 and 21, Eutychus raised from the dead, Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, and Paul goes to Jerusalem. You can listen at your convenience at thewordendures.org, the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app, and your favorite podcast provider, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, in this 19th evening lecture, Walter takes up people, in his words, who regard themselves as good Christians, although they are spiritually dead. Yeah, and he has to deal with this problem that, uh, you know, at the time of pietism, the pietist to a man basically said, hey, you have to be able to name the moment and day when you actually became a real Christian. And against this, the Orthodox said, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. You may not be able to do that. And... Walter is trying to walk a fine line here. He's like, 
true. You, 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 many people cannot name a day, but there really does need to be a change inside of the Christian that happens because of the grace of God. This is not infused grace. In fact, he will flat out call that out as, as not being the case. But it is the case that a person who gets the grace of God that's been given freely of Jesus Christ all of a sudden goes, wow, my life is, they remember, their heart is warm, their life has changed, they are filled with, with the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. And it's not that it's always the same and always strong. It's not. It is certainly the case that Christians have to have a genuine experience of grace. So Walter is defending that, that, you know, this beautiful aha that comes to a person when he realizes, you mean he just forgives me because of what Christ did and that all my sins are really gone in the sight of God, just like that? And you're like, yeah, yeah, really, just like that. And when a person gets that, They've then had that wonderful experience that he was praising. And that the Orthodox were trying to safeguard that it doesn't have to be a set moment. It can be day by day. And Walter's going to really push toward that. Now, when he, he deals then in this chapter with the idea of the assurance of one's salvation, and he writes, people can be heard saying, I know well enough that Christ has redeemed the world, but that doesn't answer the question whether I've been redeemed. Walter says, those who speak that way have no knowledge of either the law or the gospel. For a person who has learned to know the gospel will say, since the Son of God has redeemed the world, he's redeemed me too. Since he has redeemed me, he wants me to believe that. He does not prevent me from believing it by the pietistic warning, hey, don't believe prematurely. You can't believe too soon. The moment the gospel is preached to you, you're to believe it as we love souls or we fall under the displeasure of God. But unless a person clings to the word, he's not going to be able to feel assured. He'll waver. He'll vacillate hour by hour. One moment he will imagine himself to be a Christian and the next hour he'll think, nah, I just fooled myself. And so the struggle goes on inside of the hearts of Christians, but it's put to bed by the power of the word. So, the way that he describes it here at the end, he says, this strange paradox is in the heart of Christians. He fears and trembles, and yet still he is assured. I really love that. I think that's a very good description of how most Christians actually experience. A Christian may be ever so sure of his state of grace and nevertheless still hear the murderous roaring of the devil into his assurance of the grace of God, there comes a voice whispering to him that he's not yet rid of his sins, but behold, by what evil thoughts he's been visited this very day, what sinful desires have arisen inside of him, what useless words came out of his mouth, and what about the good that, that, that he even shunned doing that he knew he ought to have? These are murderous arrows from Satan's bow. And in such moments, Walter says, the Holy Spirit steps forward to bear testimony to us that we are indeed Christians. And then he says we pass on to the particular point in our thesis, which is to engage our attention tonight, that the law and the gospel are grievously commingled by those who assert that the assurance of the forgiveness of sins requires praying, struggling, wrestling, until finally that joyful feeling arises in the heart, indicating that a person in a mysterious way now has grace in his heart, and so now he can be of good cheer that he has the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, properly speaking, he says, grace is never in man's heart, but in God's heart. First, a person must believe. After that, he may feel. I love that. Feeling proceeds from faith. Faith does not proceed from feeling. I think that's just a beautiful way of describing this. And then he says, you know, a little bit further into the lecture, what a kind father then is God to his Christians. This is the way he deals with us. He doesn't lay heavy burdens on them at the start. He gets them accustomed to the way he deals gradually. Then he withdraws comforts from them in order that they learn to lay hold of him also in the dark. Accordingly, we must not think that we've fallen from grace or that we've forsaken our first love when we no longer have the blessed experiences that we had at first, or at least not in the same degree. The love which an aged, experienced Christian bears toward his Savior may not have the sweet flavor of his earlier life, but it's pure because many dregs which were contained in at the beginning have been purged from it. I think that's just so beautiful. God deals with us gently. He leads us on carefully along, and he basically is weaning us from any kind of a trust in feelings. He'll let the feelings be there sometimes at the beginning, but he's going to teach us as we walk our walk with him not to rely at all on the feelings, but to rely on what he promises in his word. And uh, his, his grand conclusion to this entire then run of lectures that were all about that one thesis. He comes back to his final summary when he says, here you hear a verdict condemning all fanatical sects. No matter what other false doctrines they may teach, they all have this grievous error in common. They do not rely solely on Christ and his word, but chiefly on something that takes place in themselves. And I'll point out that's true also for the way that Rome teaches about salvation. No, we are not to look back to our conversion for assurance, but we must go to the Savior again and again every day as though we had never been converted. My former conversion will be of no benefit to me if I become secure. I must return to the mercy seat every day. Otherwise, I shall make my former conversion my savior by relying on it. That would be awful. For in the last analysis, it would mean that I have made myself my savior. I think that's just super profound. So with about a minute here, how does that tie into the main thrust of this thesis that we're dealing with at great length, by the way, mm -hmm. and that is that where people are to find the true assurance of their salvation. If you're not finding your true assurance of salvation in God and his works on your behalf, that is in the word and the sacraments, you're going to substitute something else. And the something else may be this feeling that's inside of you. It may be a decision that you made that you remember making to become a real Christian. Any of those things are not at all the sort of ground on which you can rest. You need to rest your certainty of salvation upon something more sure than something you do. It needs to be rested on what God has done in Christ for you. 
Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the book, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. On the other side of the break, Dr. Vody Bacham joins us. We're going to talk about Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Then Molly Hemingway of Fox News will be alongside to discuss President Trump's abortion comments on Meet the Press. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. You're invited to October Fiesta, Friday night, September 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. October Fiesta features authentic Mexican cuisine, desserts from Cruda Bakery, a festive mariachi band, and of course, plenty of Mexican beverages. Tickets are $25. Proceeds benefit St. Paul Lutheran School, the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. Learn more at school.stpaulhamill.org. October Fiesta is sponsored in part by Ernst Heating and Cooling, Vallow Floor Coverings, Seavers Equipment, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, Baker Construction, Bunker Hill Chiropractic, and Lutheran Public Radio. October Fiesta, Friday night, September 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. School.stpaulhamill.org. What makes Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m. Call 618-539-5664. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website withangelsandarchangels.org.